Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So, what happens? God is saying in the Bible, there is heaven, there is hell, and that's true. So just to oppose God, just to be a Satan to God, the devil comes along and he's described in John 8, 44, John 8, 44, where it says the devil was a murderer from the beginning and he abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. He's a liar and the father of it. What God wants to do with people is to bring them out of the darkness especially the darkness as to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. God does not want people in the dark about who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And the Bible says that in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, where the Bible says, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in your hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So God wants people to know. He wants them to come out of the darkness of not knowing who Jesus Christ is into the light of knowing who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He wants that. So just to oppose God, just to be a Satan, just to be an adversary to God, Satan keeps people in the darkness about who Jesus Christ really is. And this is told to us in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 2 Corinthians 4.4, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them, lest they should understand that in that person you can see God, that he is the image of God. So Satan blinds them to that by many ways. We know from the Bible that God wants to heal people. That's what he wants to do. Sickness is like a bondage. And it says in Exodus 15, 26, Exodus 15, 26, that God told Israel, if you listen to me, if you do what I tell you to do, then he says, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. So just to oppose God, just to be a Satan, just to be an adversary to God, devil comes along and you see him and he keeps people in these sicknesses, in these diseases, like the woman who had an issue of blood for 18 years. And when the Lord Jesus went to describe what happened with this woman, he said in Luke 13, 16, Luke 13, 16, ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham whom Satan hath bound, lo, 
these 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day, which was the bond of having the issue of blood for 18 years. Okay, now, another one. God really wants to give people eternal life. He wants to give people eternal life. Lord Jesus said in John 10.10, John 10.10, I am come that they might have life. They might have it more abundantly. That's what he wants to do. I am come so that they can have life. I want them to have life. God wants them to have life. Just to oppose that, just to oppose John 3.16, the love of God that was reflected in him sending his son so that whoever, and he hopes everyone, believes on him should have eternal life and not perish. Okay, so just to oppose that, just to oppose that, to be an adversary, the rest of John 10.10, the thief comes not but to, to steal, to kill, to destroy John 8, 44, as we saw, he's the murderer from the beginning. Now, God wants the world to be saved. He wants the world to be saved. He has sent missionaries. He wants to send missionaries. There's two of them right there. Send missionaries into the world to preach the gospel. That's what he wants to do. He said that in Mark 16, 15. Mark 16, 15. He said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That's God's desire. So just to be an opponent, just to oppose God, just to be a Satan, just to be an adversary, the devil comes along and he hinders missionaries from going into the world, which is what Paul said happened to him in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, 1 Thessalonians 2.18, where Paul said, wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. God Another one, God wants to cover sins. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't like sin. He wants to cover sin in people. And he, he made provision for this with the blood. He, says he gave the blood, blood that makes a covering for sin. So he wants to cover the sins of man. And you can see this, for example, when the Lord Jesus is looking at his disciples. I mean, you gotta remember who these people are, these disciples. You know, they're not exactly Sunday school teachers. I mean, uh, well, not the Sunday school teachers. Anyway. You know, they had a lot of failures, you know, at one point, he, they failed to understand. He says, don't you understand what I said in this parable? How are you going to understand all the parables? Another point, they failed in their unbelief. They, they couldn't cast out this devil. And he says, you know, it's because of your unbelief. You know, you, you failed. You can go to prayer and fasting and so forth. And especially Peter, Peter. Oh, boy, Peter. Anyway, so what would he say to these disciples who had kind of a lot of failures in their background there? He said to them, as he looked at them in Luke twenty two twenty eight, Luke twenty two twenty eight, he said, "Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations." Are you talking to the same people? We're looking. You are they which have been successful, and that's what he's focused on. Why does he do that? Because their failures, their sins, he wants to cover them. He just wants to cover them, and that's what the Lord wants to do. Now, just to oppose God, just to be the Satan to God, just to be the adversary to God, Satan is pointing out all the sins, like he did with Job. He's at Job in Job 111. Job 111, he says to God, put forth your hand and touch all that he hath. Make it all vanish, just to go up and smoke. He says, and he will curse thee to thy face, is what Satan said about Job. He says, he's going to stand right up to your face and curse you. He also said that in Job 2.5, Job 2.5. He said, okay, all right, you took all of his possessions away. That didn't work. So now just go after his health. 
And he says in Job 2, 5, but put forth that hand now and touch his bone and his flesh and he will curse thee to thy face. That was a real accusation. As a matter of fact, just to oppose God, Satan continually accuses us as was given us in Revelation 12.10, Revelation 12.10, where it says, I heard a voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast out, which accused them before our God day and night. So you want to know what Satan's spending a lot of his time doing? He's spending a lot of time accusing you. That's what he's doing here. And he's doing that because the Lord wants to cover sins. Now, for all these reasons and more, when the Lord Jesus in verse 10 calls the devil Satan or adversary, he's really squaring off with the devil, with the adversary. He's squaring off as a man, and he's declaring war with Satan. And this declaration of war really came in response to Satan's suggestion to fall down and worship him. I mean, that resulted in a horror and a strong rebuke of, I can't bear to think of it. When he says, get the hints. When Satan stepped out and did this, what he was really doing was trying to overturn the kingdom of God by overthrowing the founder of the kingdom of God. So this is what happened. But when he comes out, and he makes this outrageous proposal to fall down and worship him, then the masquerader is exposed. And he's exposed because, for not being a friend at all, it's this transformation that Satan does. It's described as transformation, you know, into a friend or someone who's going to give you understanding that you get in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says, no marvel, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Here he is, he's transformed himself into a friend of the Lord. You know, Las Vegas is transformed into a place of pleasure. Casinos are transformed into a place of happiness. Prostitutes are transformed into people who bring fulfillment. Drugs are transformed into like excursions from reality. Alcohol is transformed into vacations of escape. And this is what Satan does. He transforms with this one statement where the Lord says, get thee hence, Satan. He's ripped off the mask and he says, he does this. And as he does this, you can hear the Lord saying in John 14, 30, later on in John 14, 30, he says, I will not talk much with you for the prince of the world cometh and hath nothing in me, hath nothing in me. Every time you and I flirt with sin, every time you and I flirt with lust, every time you and I flirt with anger, every time you and I flirt with, uh, no, I don't want to forgive that person. Every time we do that, what happens is that we give Satan something in us. We give him like a beachhead. We give him a little area for him to land on. And what the Lord said when he said, Satan has nothing in me, he was saying, he doesn't have any beachhead in me. This is the truth that's brought out from Hebrews 4.15, Hebrews 4.15, which is talking about, again, the Lord is the high priest. It says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So important words, yet without sin. No sin in his history 
no sin in his desires, no sin in his future, no sin in his need for cleansing because he doesn't have any sin, no sin in his own need for forgiveness because he has no sin. The Lord says in uh, verse 10, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thy serve. Here, the Lord is quoting from Deuteronomy 6.13. Deuteronomy 6.13. Now, you know the New Testament's written in Greek, and so the quotations from the Old Testament are from the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint. And the Septuagint says, only the Lord God is to be worshipped. What this is really going along with, and says only the Lord God is to be worshipped, is this particular jealousy that the Lord has, this, this jealousy. It says he's a jealous God. Isaiah 42, 8, he says, I am the Lord, that's my name. My glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So he's jealous, and he doesn't want anybody else to be called God. I mean, I told you the story about when my wife was in, Cheryl was in Japan with us one day in Tokyo. My uh, colleague and I were doing business throughout uh, Tokyo, and our secretary had taken uh, Cheryl to a temple, one of the temples there. So she was explaining that Matsusaka-san was her name. And she was explaining to Cheryl, you know, what you do. So he came up to the place where, you know, you clap your hands to wake the gods up. You know, and then you throw money into a little box. And so there's all these people lined up there. And they're all, you know, clapping their hands, throwing money into the box. And, uh, you know, and so Matsusaka-san claps her hands, reaches her purse, throws money in the house. And Cheryl's standing there like she's in rigor mortis. You know, like <laughs> and so, you know, Matsusaka-san turns and says, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. And she gives, he goes in her purse, you know, she gives her some money. So she throw it in there. She figured it didn't have any money. That's why she's standing there like that. And so Cheryl says, no, no, I can't, I can't. And so she said, why? And she said, uh, well, it's because my God's a jealous God. And, um, and so she said, what does jealous mean? She didn't know the name. And jealous. And he goes, okay, come over here, I'll tell you. And so they stepped over the side. Matsusaka son had just been married for about a year. And so Cheryl said to her, okay, what happened tonight if you came home and you said to your husband, oh, I met the most wonderful man, so handsome, strong, he's funny, he's intelligent. Oh, and you just went on and on talking about this man that you met during the day. What would your husband do? He said, oh, he would become very angry, <laughs> she said. And then Cheryl said, that's why I can't throw the money into the box. That's jealousy. So God's very jealous about this. He's not going to share his glory. He's not going to let somebody else be called God. It's only for him. But yet, when the Lord Jesus speaks about himself and God in this area of giving honor, he said in John 5, 23, all men should honor the Son. That's him. All men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son... Honoreth not the Father, which has sent him. So if God alone is to be worshipped and honored for that matter, why did he say that? There's only one explanation for that, that Jesus is God. That's the explanation. For example, in verse 11 here, we see here, the Lord Jesus tells the devil, only God is to be worshipped. And, and yet, later on, the disciples will worship the Lord Jesus Christ. It says that in Luke 24, 52. Luke 24, 52. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. It says in Matthew 14, 33, Matthew 14, 33, when they were in a ship, it says that they were in the ship, came and worshiped him, saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. Now, when this happened, at that moment, the Lord stood by and he didn't say to the disciples, oh no, don't you do that. 
you should only worship God. And by the same token, there was this blind man that was healed by the Lord in Mark 9.38, the whole history there about this blind man, the challenges he had. But at one point in John 9.38, it says, Lord, I believed, and he worshiped him again. The Lord didn't say to the blind man, don't do that. What are you doing? Don't do that. Only worship God. He didn't say that. A leper, a leper worshiped him in Matthew 8, 2. Matthew 8, 2, behold, there came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou can make me clean. The Lord didn't say, well, I can make you clean, but don't worship me. He didn't say that. There was a ruler in the synagogue who worshiped him in Matthew 9, 18. Matthew 9, 18, while he spake these things unto him, unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshiped him, saying, my daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, she shall live. Again, the Lord didn't say, you're doing the wrong thing. You shouldn't worship me, you should worship God. Woman came and she worshiped him when she asked for help. It says in Matthew 15, 25, Matthew 15, 25, then came she and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me again. He didn't say to the Canaanite woman, look, I know you're not from Israel, but I gotta explain to you, only God should be worshiped. And that's not me. Don't do that. He didn't do that. So all of these instances where people worshipped him, he never said to them what he said to the devil, you should worship the Lord thy God only. He never said that. So the only explanation is that he is the Lord their God. And that was right for them to worship him. Now these three temptations here that we're kind of looking back over. and sort of want to take a little bit of a bird's eye view of these three temptations. I mean, we've seen certain things you can say about these temptations, but we've seen how these three temptations relate to what the Bible says encompasses everything that's in the world. Everything that's in the world is really encompassed, according to 1 John 2.16, 1 John 2.16, for all that's in the world, and here's the encompassed parts, the lust of the flesh, like satisfying hunger after you haven't eaten for 40 days, The lust of the eyes, like seeing the glory of all the kings of the world. And the pride of life, like being hailed as the great one who falls down from the temple and doesn't get hurt, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So these three temptations, as I was mentioning here, they touch these three areas of all that's in the world. So when he resists these temptations, he is repudiating the world and all that's in the world. But there's another dimension. There's actually several dimensions about these three temptations. But another dimension of these three temptations has to do and really gets to the heart of the type of Messiah that the Jewish people really wanted and that the Jewish people were looking for. First of all, the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah that, as they put it, their leaders put it, in Matthew 12.38, Matthew 12.38, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered them and said, An evil and adulterous generation, that sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. So the Jewish people are looking for a sign from their Messiah. That means a sign that's outside of the signs that are described in the Bible about the Messiah in the scriptures. This is a an extra scriptural sign. And he says, that's evil, that's adulterous. So, but to turn stones into bread, now we're talking, because that's the kind of sign that they were looking for. This temptation to show this people this sign 
was not predicted in the Bible that it was going to happen. So he would be stepping out of the bounds of what the Bible predicted about what he would do as far as signs go. And, 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 and if the Lord had done that, then the Jewish people said, now we're talking, that's what we want. We want a magician. We want a magician who can turn the stones into bread. That's what we want. And there's no scripture that predicts the Messiah is going to turn stones into bread. Okay, so that's the first temptation as it relates to what the Jewish people were looking for. Second temptation, the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah that would be a powerful king of the Jews. They wanted a Messiah who would overthrow the Roman rule over them, that would free them from being these slaves to the Roman Empire. And what greater indication that he was this powerful king of the Jews than to fly down from the air from the temple in Jerusalem, the city of the king. That's the second temptation as it relates to the people's expectation for who the Messiah should be. The third, the Jewish people were looking for Messiah that would rule over the earth and would bring peace to the earth. As a matter of fact, that's the big argument the Jewish people use today. Well, it can't be the Messiah because he didn't bring peace to the earth. This is what the third temptation represented for the Lord to become the ruler over all the earth. So, these three temptations catered to what the Jewish people wanted in a Messiah. And if the Lord had agreed with these three temptations, in other words, to give in to these three temptations, then he would have agreed to become the Messiah that the people wanted. And there was a conflict between the Messiah that God the Father wanted and the Messiah that the people, the Jewish people wanted. God wanted the Messiah to stay within the bounds of doing what was prophesied in the scriptures. Whereas the people wanted the Messiah to do tricks, to do miracles on their demand, which they would have had had the Lord uh, given in to the first temptation and snapped his fingers and the stones were made into bread. Okay, another conflict. God wanted the Messiah to be the king of the Jews who would save the Jews from their sins by dying on a cross at the hands of the Romans. Whereas the people wanted their Messiah not to be killed by the Romans, they wanted their Messiah to kill the Romans. (laughs) Which they would have had. Had he given into the second temptation and he could prove that he would not be harmed by jumping off the temple. And the last, God wanted the Messiah to be meek and lowly and humble just like a servant who would wash the feet of his followers. But the Jewish people looked at that and said, oh, no, how demeaning. They wanted a Messiah who would be proud and powerful, and everybody would serve him, which is what they would have had had he slipped and given in a third temptation and become the ruler over all the kings of the world. So really, these three temptations boil down to a conflict over whether the people were going to accept the Messiah that God gave them or demand that the Messiah be what they wanted. And that's really the way it is today with people. They look at the Savior that God gave and sent to die for their sins, and they see a Savior that was so humble that he agreed to be mutilated and tortured in this degrading death on the cross And the reaction of people today is very much the same. It's like, oh, no, that's not what I want from God. A person dying on a cross, that's crazy. So it all really boils down to 
Do you want the Savior that God sent to die for your sins to bring you to heaven? Or do you refuse God's Savior and are you waiting for another? Are you still waiting for the Messiah to come? Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 